when people, you know, promise, I'll, I'll show you how to unravel your potential, but they themselves don't even have vision. They don't even have dreams. They don't even have aspirations. They do nothing out of the regular cookie cutter career. Then what we have is a situation of the blind leading the blind and they can only take you so far. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturers specialty metal roofing and other building materials. And with me today is my grandson, Seth Heckerman. <laughs> okay, now I will allow you, he is not my grandson. Uh, this is our vice president of sales, Seth Heckerman. I'll allow you the great pleasure of explaining why. I introduced you as my grandson. <laughs> well, it's been a few years since we've gotten this, but we had a visitor in the office today, and he, uh, we were all cha- uh, talking, and he asked how long I had been here and asked if I was born into it as your grandson or some other family member, So he's, I, which I took it as a compliment you, that he thought I was a whole generation younger than what I actually am. But. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't be very proud to have you as my grandson, sure. but uh, my actual son is... Uh, seven years younger than you. So anyway, it's all good. Uh, That was fun though. Anyway, so our goal here at Construction Disruption is to provide forward-looking information that is helpful to those who are serious about this industry for their careers. As part of that, we look at new innovations as well as trends in construction, building materials, the labor market, and leadership. Basically, if it's something out there that we believe is going to impact the future of building and remodeling, we go out and find a leading expert on that topic and invite them onto the show as our spotlighted guest. And today, that guest is Eleanor Masha. Living in Melbourne, Australia, Eleanor is founder of The Construction Coach, where she guides and inspires construction professionals and future leaders to construct their careers and achieve higher compensation, faster progression, and more recognition. By starting with the question, are you ready to start constructing you? Eleanor helps her clients take quantum leaps in their careers. Eleanor holds a Master of Construction Management and a Bachelor of Environments from the University of Melbourne, and she is a frequent speaker and guest lecturer. Her book, Constructing Your Career, and her other book, Leadership in Construction, and also her podcast, she is very busy, Um, her podcast is called Constructing You. All of those things are changing lives and, I believe, helping to drive, uh, push our industry forward. Eleanor, welcome to Construction Disruption, and thank you so much for your time today. I know with the time difference, we had to ask you to uh, record it very early on a Saturday morning, so um, thank you for your time. Good morning, and my pleasure and privilege to be on the other side of the microphone. You're both doing the heavy lifting in the AM hours. I get the privilege of being in conversation, so thank you. Well, I was going to say, you're, this is, uh, you're, you are what we call old hat to this, um, doing a lot of recording and podcasting yourself. So I have to ask you, oh, and I don't know, maybe this is a dangerous question. Do you often see penguins on the coast around Melbourne? You know, in the whole time that I've been here, I've seen those cute little fairy things once that you go to a specific location and and you find them and that is Phillip Island so I think you know people do think that we have nature and not nature but the animals just roaming around in suburbia but alas no probably for the better for them not for not for us so would definitely recommend a visit down down under and to discover all that we have here it's a beautiful place. It is a doggone long flight. Uh, but it's a beautiful place. So the reason for my question, I have to tell you, I, I've been to uh, Australia once and uh, spent most of that time in Melbourne and also in uh, the Geelong and Anglesey areas. And I think it was when we were down at Geelong, um, we were driving along. I wasn't driving. My, my host was. We're driving along the coast, though, and he's showing me the sights. And I look out, and out on the rocks, and this was, again, near Geelong, 
there's a penguin standing out there on the rocks. And I told him, I said, do you have a lot of penguins? Because there's a penguin out there. And, and of course, he absolutely refused to believe me. Um, but he did circle back and go back and by golly, there was a penguin stand, sitting out, standing out there. And so in parts of Australia, um, I am known as the bloke who saw a penguin in Geelong. So anyway, it was um, that, that was pretty cool, though. I was in Geelong a few months ago. I don't remember seeing a sign that says, you know, Todd saw a, <laughs> Todd saw a penguin. I'll have to keep my eyes open next time. I need to lobby for that. That that would be pretty awesome, actually. Yes, I'm, the clock. I'm, I'm sure my host knows exactly where it was that I spotted the the lone and uh, rather confused-looking penguin, to be honest. Well, again, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Um so you are a widely recognized thought leader and also authority in the construction management field, and you've chosen to your, use your skills and experiences to help others, which is fantastic. Um, we always prefer um, here on Construction Disruption have folks tell their own stories um, rather than us read some dry biography I pulled from a website or LinkedIn. Um, so can you tell us a little about about your own career path, um, including what caused you to become interested in construction as a career, and then also how you came to be uh, the construction coach? Thank you. Great question. Throughout my undergraduate, I did architecture, and I had the grandiose ideas that I would be the person showing up in all black to to a site or a building. I would have my name up in lights, and how disillusioned, of course, I was when that vision met reality. It was nothing like that. And whilst I am a creative, I'm not a creative in that typical sense. I was a student who came to class with the glue still wet, on the model. And the thing that got me through was that I have a fantastic way with words. That was what got me that piece of paper. But architecture certainly wasn't for me. And I realized through extracurricular activities during my undergraduate, which I spent more time doing, that I'm naturally gravitating towards things that are process oriented and structured and were more holistic than what I perceived architecture to be. So based on the knowledge that I had at the time, I looked at the prospectus and said, okay, I don't want to do property. I don't want to do urban planning. I definitely don't want to do architecture. So I looked into construction and it all sounded fantastic. And I remember sitting there in the first class way back in 2013 thinking, this is everything that I was looking for, but it just afforded so many more questions and a lot more opportunity, I thought, standing at the outset of the industry. So then I did find myself working in the construction industry, but a year six to seven, I started feeling extremely stifled, extremely lost and extremely dissatisfied. And this wasn't through having a quote unquote, what other people would perceive an unsuccessful career. Many people would have happily traded places with me, but I got to a point where I hated my career. And to say that versus what I do now is to show the depths as to where I found my career. I was diminished. I lost 95% of my individuality and my personality to conformity within the industry. And I couldn't make sense as to where I was going. It didn't make sense to be chasing a quote unquote, a job title when it no had anything to do with where I wanted to go. And this friction started developing when I conceived my own vision and where I thought I wanted to go, which was based on societal standards and conventional industry practices, had nothing to do with my vision. And that's what started affording me the cracks in my paradigm to say that something isn't right here. And I wasn't in charge of my career at the time. And it was a gray, bleak Melbourne morning in October, as bleak as Melbourne morning gets. And I was working on this horrible project, which was toxic and seeping into every crevice of my life. And I looked out the site shed and it had bars in it. And it felt like a mental prison for me. And I looked at it and I, and I said, this can't be it. 
And it was that morning that I made the promise to myself that I am going to take charge of my career and I will do everything that I can in my power to make my vision come into fruition. And that's how I got to where I am today, the the short of it. But what happens when you do pursue a vision with enough precision and when you have enough belief in it, the right people and the right opportunities start to come around you. And the first thing that I had to do was to lead myself. I had to construct me before I even had the right to give any sort of advice to insight or insight to other people within the industry. And that's what I spent more time doing. And I still do it. You can only lead someone from a higher consciousness than they are on. But I had to solve career problems for myself first. And once I solved it for myself, and once I got a broader perspective as to how stifling it actually is to come up through the ranks of construction, that I realized, look, if I have this problem, then others as well. Because if I was working with outdated tools and I was leaving opportunity on the table, then so are other people. And if I wasn't constructing my career with the knowledge of what are the most influential factors, then other people aren't as well. And I realized that there is a chasm between what the construction industry tells you that you need to construct your career versus what is actually required. And that's the driving force between everything that I do today. Wow, that is quite a story. I mean, and how much more effective that has to make you as a coach, because you are basically coaching people through what you went through yourself. And and I assume that's kind of where you're seeing that transformation in your your own life. Um, I would assume is what kind of led you to have this burning desire to go out and help others through that same process. Is that true? That's right. And what you will see frequently in the coaching and mentoring marketplace is irony that people are promising you outcomes that they haven't even resolved for themselves. And whether it's coaches, mentors, vice presidents, or, you know, company founders, people want to see that the leader, the individual themselves can generate success for themselves in the first place. You can't promise something to someone else that you haven't achieved for yourself. That's called being a phony. And when people, you know, promise, I'll, I'll show you how to unravel your potential, but they themselves don't even have vision. They don't even have dreams. They don't even have aspirations. They do nothing out of the regular cookie cutter career. Then what we have is a situation of the blind leading the blind and they can only take you so far. So certainly being able to solve problems for yourself and recognizing that is the only way that you'll be able to then recognize and lead someone else to that same problem and then that solution. Wow. And and that resonates with me because years ago I had worked with a business coach and um, God rest his soul, he's since passed away and he was a great guy and we became great friends. But he struggled in that role as a coach because prior to becoming a business coach, he had worked for billion dollar multinational companies. He had never really lived that experience of being an entrepreneur, of bootstrapping, of figuring out, you know, I have a customer now, what do I do with this? Um, and, and so he struggled with that. Now he had some great resources and, and ultimately he helped, did a lot of things to help me and many other clients. But uh, th- that just really resonates with me uh, so much what you're saying, because if you are a coach and you've actually lived it yourself, that uh, certainly makes a big difference. So I'm curious, you had that inciting incident, that bleak morning, Melbourne morning. Uh, what did the... What did you do the afternoon or the days ahead? What were the next steps after that for you, living into that new vision for yourself? That's a great question. First, I had a anxiety, like a, a, it felt like a breakdown, like you don't know what's happening because <laughs> sure. it, it was, it's called a paradigm shift, but I didn't have that terminology at the time. But actually, the, the, that's a great question. The first thing that I did was call my then mentor and that mentoring relationship expired for all the right reasons. And I called and I didn't have the words to articulate that frustration between I don't like where I am, but I also don't have the words to express what I want to be doing. 
And I called my then mentor and within so many words, I tried to express the deep unsatisfaction. And I remember him starkly saying, well, if that's what you want, then you should just go be an entrepreneur tomorrow. And it was in such a mocking way as if the world of entrepreneurship would be out of reach for me. And I was being selfish to want to live in alignment with my number one value, which is freedom and not wanting to quote unquote, do the hard yards. And I do a lot of hard yards now, right? But it doesn't have to look like one thing of working on site and, and, you know, working with inadequate management. That's not a career in construction. That is one version of what it means to have a career in construction. And because at that point in time, I did think that, okay, this mentor does know what's best. I let it go for around a few days, but it kept on coming back to me with such a nagging feeling that no, there is something in this for me. And fast forward a little bit, that's when I conceived the idea for the construction coach. And I was hesitant to share it with that mentor because I knew they would discount it. And I was right. And that's why that mentoring relationship had to end because they were not the right mentor who could serve me anymore. And that's why I had to you know, that mentoring relationship had to end as difficult as it was for the mentor that I do have right now, who is larger than life. And that is Ron Malhotra to show me that there is a marriage between construction and there is a marriage between the life and lifestyle that I desire for myself. And just because it hasn't been done before, doesn't mean that it can't be done before. And that's how quick people are to discount your dreams. And that was an important lesson to learn as as a mentor early on, that when people think that they mentor, what they're actually wanting to do is fit you into their predetermined plans and their predetermined notions as to what you should be, instead of looking at you as a whole and saying, okay, Todd, this is who you are. This is what you want. How can I make that happen for you and enable you to do that? And that is the difference between average mentoring and exemplary transformative mentoring of course, which the construction industry is so, is so desperate for. So it was, you know, what happened straight after is a lot of confusion, a lot of friction and not a lot of clarity. Clarity came maybe even a year after that. It took time. But what I didn't do was give up on that dream and say, you know what, that is a pipeline dream. And I should just sit down and shut up like everyone else and follow the set conventional path, which has already been paved like someone else. I'm not, I don't have herd mentality. I cannot follow the crowd. I, it doesn't work for me. So in order to, to break away, it takes a lot of courage in the first instance as well. Fantastic. How all the more inspiring that story is and your example then coming alongside your mentees where you've had that success for yourself and it was all based upon trusting your own intuition and deepest passions in the process. So having that having that moment, but bracing for a whole lot more conflict and wrestling afterwards. So, And I have to say, too, so so Seth is a musician. Um, I can see this line, bleak Melbourne morning, showing up in a song someday. There's, <laughs> there's something incredible about that. All so, yours. <laughs> so I'm curious. Tell us a little bit about what your relationship uh, with your clients typically looks like. Um, who is typical of your clients? Um, what does that relationship uh, entail? In the thought leadership world, what's more important is someone's psychographics than demographics. Sure. And what's more important is that they have ambition and they have desire and they want more because fundamentally the only people who seek out a mentor or a coach are people who want more out of life. Someone who is satisfied with doing the same thing over and over and over again is not going to seek out a mentor or a coach to enable them to do more, to explore more. They are not the type of people who don't have curiosity, right? So it is only a certain type of person who not only seeks out mentoring and coaching, but one that would even come into my world because I have high standards. My minimum standard is excellence. I don't put up with bad behavior. And 
it's also about having ambition. I speak the language of ambition and achievement. There's a certain hunger in me to win. And most people would call that arrogance. Some people call it confidence. Either way, it's none of my business. I'm here to do what I need to do for my clients. So the people that do come into my world, they are certainly action takers. They're not people who will sit on the sideline for five years to make a decision. They're not people who have a sense of entitlement, meaning, hang on, I have a problem, therefore the whole world should bow down at my feet and solve it for me. And that is how most people do approach their career problems, their personal problems, their life problems. And you can see by the results that people have later on in their life, how deep that sense of entitlement is. So through psychographics, those are fundamentally the type of people who would come into my world. And my approach is, it's from the inside out, not from the outside in. Most people ask you the question, so what do you want to be? And then they expect the answer to be a job title. They'll simply plan out a pathway based on, okay, this is your job title now. Okay, you need an interviewing skill and this is the next job that you're going to get. And that might provide a short-term pain relief, right? It's like putting soothing cream on a broken leg, but it doesn't fix the problem that people are experiencing in their career. So I work with people at different levels, everything from everyone from people who are trying to get into the industry, right through to business advisory, all the same. And it's at every level, it's about enabling them to stop being invisible to the marketplace. Even if they are in a managerial role and they want to establish themselves as a leader, if they're an executive and they want to go down the thought leadership path, if they are a graduate seeking opportunity in the marketplace, it's about providing them with opportunities for differentiation. But first and foremost, doing the quote unquote, the inner work, everything starts with us. And one thing that we don't do is give people the tactical approach, right? So for example, if it's someone who wants to uh, you know, get themselves a pay rise, you can't just give them a script. There's a lot of mindset work that needs to happen in the first place so that they don't just achieve a pay rise, but that they also expand their bandwidth for income, for abundance, so that they understand, okay, how can I influence my income to get them thinking in ways that are not just, okay, income means a pay rise, it's getting them to actually think differently about the whole concept of income. So I hope that provides a perspective to the question. No, it does. And, and I loved what you said that, you know, it's it's not about demographics. It's about the drive in that individual. And, you know, that is something we talk a lot about, too, uh, in regards to some of the clients that we work with, um, even as a building products manufacturer. So is a lot of your coaching done over the phone or video conferencing? Is that typically what that looks like? Or Yes, it's all online. And it was only, I think, a month ago, or a few weeks ago that I got to meet some of my clients in person for the first time because Melbourne has been the most locked down, imprisoned state that there is. So there really hasn't been opportunity in 2021. We just, every time we wanted to meet or have a client get together, it had to be cancelled. So that was just canned. So it is all online. And that, of course, does afford opportunities to have clients across multiple you know, continents. And I was thinking that even right now, I can travel to every state in Australia and there is a client that I can see. And that is such a fulfilling thing to you know, think that I have done for myself, especially when everyone said, well, this isn't possible. So I'm curious, as, as uh, the construction coach or, or uh, in, in this, these relationships, do you find that you yourself grow as well um, and learn? And I'm curious to hear a little bit about that from your perspective. Of course. Well, I have to. And it's not even that I have to, like, that is my duty. Because if the more that I expand my worldview, the more that I expand my own consciousness, the more that I can serve them. Because, you know, as I said before, if, if clients are on this level, and that's not saying it's not a bad thing. I mean, I once, once, you know, down there somewhere, then, and if I'm on the same level as them, then 
I can only take them so far and that's not what they come to me for. So the more that I expand, the more that I do what I tell them to do, the more that I follow my own curiosities, then the more that I can, of course, serve them in the process as well. And absolutely, I mean, when you truly listen to not just what they think the problem is, because we're not the best people to diagnose our own problems. It's like, you know, me going to the doctor and saying, well, I have a headache and then they, they just give me what I need for that. Whereas that's not actually the process. That's not actually the right diagnostic. So listening to not just what clients say, but what also they don't say and knowing that and always highlighting their blind spots to them. Of course, I learned from that process as well, because you're truly understanding the person as a whole, you know, what, what's important to them? What do they value? What don't they value? What do they, what, what keeps them up at night? What do they dream about? What do they truly want for themselves? And the only way that I can learn that is from them. So every time I, I, you know, have a new client or working with someone new, it's, an incredible opportunity to learn about them because there is no one size fits all. Everyone is different. And that's also how I approach the mentoring. It's that, okay, if this person has this disposition and, and this set of strengths, what is it that will enable them to achieve their dreams? So absolutely. Like I learn, you know, the most from them, which then of course increases my ability to serve more people of, you know, who have that, who have those same, problems per se and those same similar aspirations and, and similar dreams. And we all tend to think that our problems were the only one in the world who has them, but there are there are people who, who you know share share similar frustrations. Very interesting. And you know, as I sit here and listen to you and I think back to where you said, you know, you had started uh, in undergrad in architecture and decided that wasn't for you. And I was reminded a few episodes ago, we had a, an architect on and he said, oh, an architect is just someone who dresses in black and wears funky glasses. But as I, as I listened to you, it seems like you really should have been a psychology major. I mean, it just seems <laughs> like that, that is very much your bent is really tuning in well to people and, um, helping them discover themselves. And that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. So I'm curious, are most of your clients um, entrepreneurs? I mean, are they the owner of the business or do you work with a lot of clients who um, are, as you mentioned earlier, a, a manager or project manager or whatever that might be? Predominantly industry professionals of those wanting to get into industry or those who are quite senior in industry. And it, they usually come to me around truly the seven-year mark, which is where you experience the most disillusionment with simply having a one-dimensional corporate career and you've forgotten those dreams that you started off with in the industry. And it's usually at that point where people don't even recognize themselves anymore. They look and sound like everyone else in the construction industry. Chino's Iron Williams, a checkered shirt and a puffered vest. <laughs> and so it's that sort of, you know, it's when, again, they've they've lost so much of themselves that they don't even recognize themselves anymore. And then of course I do have a collaboration with my business, with my mentor for business advisory. And that is where we do service the, the business owners and entrepreneurs. And also I do work with my business, with my mentor and business partner. And that is also for those who may have left corporate already and they are starting out or they are already you know, they might have a successful business, but now they're also looking at how they can position themselves as thought leaders or as the go-to industry experts in their own micro niche. I'm curious when you're working with those leaders of organizations, you know, whether departments or the organizations as a whole, how do you help them lead uh, well enough where they're not creating all these dissatisfied people at year seven underneath them? You know, how uh, how does their do you help their leadership change? How do you help them set a better vision for their own uh, team members that they're responsible for? That's a great question. It all, again, starts with the individual. And if the individual doesn't know how to lead themselves, then they're not going to be able to enable others to also lead themselves and set other people up for success. If they can't recognize within themselves what they want, then how are they possibly going to 
enable someone else or recognize or enable someone else to recognize what it is that they want. And when they start seeing, you know what, it is, I am more powerful, I am more impactful, when I am all of who I am, then they, of course, start to create space and enable others to bring more of their person and more of their personality to work. So that's a shift on, on one front. And when a person, especially a leader, when they are in total alignment with themselves, when you can see that, you know what, this person knows who they are, and they operate on a higher vibration, a high level of consciousness. That, of course, does work to raise others around them, right? You can imagine if, you know, someone was working with a manager and they were, you know, simply toxic in every way, shape and form. Well, that doesn't create any benefit to their subordinates. But imagine if you had a leader that was so confident within themselves that they would you know, they create space for others, they create pathways for other people. Well, that of course has benefits. But also when people are instilling higher standards, right? People don't even hold themselves to high standards. I mean, no one wakes up in the morning and says, Todd, you have to hold yourself to high standards. That has to come from within, unless someone does. But <laughs> if that doesn't come from within, then who's doing it? And mm -hmm. if the leader themselves isn't holding themselves to high standards, that they cannot hold others. So there's a major discovery process as to what that actually is. And then that, of course, has its flow and effects to everyone who is in their world all the same. So as you think about some of your clients, I'd love to hear about um, some success stories, and I know you have some great ones on your website, some testimonials and little sound bites. But um, what are some of the primary changes that you have seen your clients to you know have occur in their lives? Um, any stories you can share with us about lives that were changed and success that was gained, and folks that you know made it out of that uh, bleak Melbourne morning? We're we're going to make a big saying out of that. Um, I may have the Visitors Bureau from Melbourne all over me about that. But, uh, hey, they didn't give you a plaque. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't have a plaque yet. That's right. Uh, so would, would love, though, hear, hear some of those success stories and some of those stories have changed lives. You know, some of the best stories are when they realize that construction isn't for them, that they were just oh. following convention, that, you know, why am I even doing this? And that's truly not what they want. And then they start putting in motion. They start making plans to actually pursue what they originally wanted before everyone else but themselves told them what they wanted. And I love that, Right because they are pursuing what it is that they wanted before their parents told them what to do, before their workplace told them to sit down, shut up, and here's your next role, right? Before all of that, they had their own aspirations. And, you know, if a client has decided to leave, you know, construction and say go to property when a, when a client has, you know, created massive wins for themselves in, you know, starting their business or having the confidence to pursue the ambition. So, you know, they move, you know, one, one person has moved countries for a new role. Another person has left a quote unquote good position, which society says is a good position, but they hated it. And they went and pursued something that was in alignment. That's a great outcome. Again, when someone says, I don't even want to work in construction, even better outcome, they want to go do, you know, teaching. It's when they also discover within themselves that they already have everything within themselves that they need to achieve. It, they just don't have the knowledge, but they have the backbone and they start to realize how powerful they actually are. It's giving the agency and it's giving power back to them. So the, there's a lot of intangible outcomes that come with the mentoring process, which is around that conviction, that confidence and that clarity. But then of course, the tangible outcomes uh, when they get the job that they've always wanted, or they, they get the promotion that they always wanted, they get their builder's license like they always wanted. So when people are fundamentally achieving what it is that they want, and even if that changes over time, that is the most rewarding feedback loop that we can get as a mentor. You know, something I'm thinking about here is when we talk about getting people into the right roles and roles that are fulfilling to them, a, a major 
issue here in the States for many, several years in the construction industry has been the shortage of skilled labor. Is is it similar in Australia? Is there a shortage of, of skilled trades and so forth? Well, define, you know, we can define skill set as being someone who simply has a qualification, but that's not a skill set. Yeah. And then you, there is, of course, the, you know, specialized technical skill set. And that, of course, there is a, that's a lagging indicator. It takes someone, it takes, you know, maybe three, four years to truly train a, quali- a qualified tradesperson sure. to be, you know, of the artisan level to some extent. But what is even more rare to find are those A players, those truly ambitious, dedicated, hungry people who don't just sit around waiting to be told what to do, but they also know how to think and they don't need to be told just what to think. And it's those who have that entrepreneurial mindset, that entrepreneurial nature of thinking rather than the employee mindset. And that is what is truly becoming harder and harder to find as people get more and more entitled. They just want, want, want. I want, I want, I want. Great. What can you actually give in the first place? And this is what's truly becoming harder to find. It's people with the right attitude towards success, towards progression, towards remuneration. And that is what we're truly missing in the industry. And I speak to executives frequently on my podcast as well. And that is all the same. A common pain point is that, you know, the employ the cohort isn't re- the professional workplace isn't realizing that how they all sound to their executives. I want this. I want the title. I want, I want, I want. But no one's asking, hey, what can I do for you? That's interesting. And and I took kind of a back route to get there. But what I was kind of going toward was exactly that, that, you know, how much more effective and to some degree how, how, how much more of an effective workforce we can have, how some of these problems go away if we simply have people that are self-fulfilled and in the right roles and loving what they do. And uh, all of us know that, you know, when we're doing something where we're in our zone and it's what we love doing, we are our most effective also. And so I, I really believe what you're doing is addressing that workforce issue simply by uh, changing lives and getting people into to the right spots with the right attitudes and feeling self-fulfilled. So uh, kudos. But holding that tension that you just outlined of we need to help people feel self-fulfilled doing something they enjoy doing while understanding no one's just going to give it to you or is responsible for giving it to you. So, you know, you have to give in the process. You have to contribute to the the good overall. And in that we can all work together where we all reach that end for ourselves. Certainly. So many of our listeners and viewers um, here at Construction Disruption, we believe, are folks who are fairly young in their careers um, in building and remodeling and design. Um, any particular words of advice you would have for those folks who are you know, new in their careers? Obviously, they ought to think about calling you and uh, engaging you as their coach. But uh, any particular words of advice for them? To go in here first and ask themselves, what do you want? And when I was asked that question way back in 2015, the only answer I had was, I want to work on site. But then it's like, hang on, what, every day, forever? Is that what I really want? Or is that what the industry wants me to say? Now, if I get asked the question, what do you want? My answer is, well, how much time do you have? Because it's a long answer, to say the least, and a very detailed and ornate one, all the same. But ask yourself, what do you want? And whilst that may sound like a simple question, nine out of 10 people that I ask, I don't get an answer. And this is why things such as seniority and experience have very little weight, because when you truly go behind the facade of the individual, you strip away the title, you strip away the company, you take away all the projects, there's nothing there because they haven't actually been working on the real project that matters. And that is, of course, themselves. So for those who are starting out, sit with the question of what is it that I truly want? What do I want my life to look like in 10 years from now? Because if you're not going to be the driver of that, you're going to end up waking up at 6am to an alarm clock to go to work with inadequate people, to go to work on inadequate projects. And no matter how much money hits your account, it will never be fulfilling. Man, that's great advice to younger folks in particular. Um, It really is. I love that. Anything that you are seeing potentially 
happening out there in construction. And I realize this is a little bit far flung from the whole coaching aspect. Um, but anything you're seeing out there that you think is a, a trend or disruptor that uh, folks need to have on their radar? There's certainly, you know, we can look at the contact or the prop tech. There's all of, you know, those and offsite manufacturing. But the greatest opportunity is to bring the, the heart back into the industry for, for, incredible heart-centric leaders who have that passion, who know that things can be done better in the industry and they want to disrupt. Disruption, and that's why I was excited to come on this podcast because disruption is the greatest opportunity that there currently is. The industry is experiencing a myriad of issues, but it's not the industry's fault because what is an industry? An industry is the sum of its parts. What are the parts? The parts are the people. And it's the people who, from the inside out, have those problems that they're not working on their mindset. They have no idea what their high skill set is. They're working, again, out of total alignment. They are dissatisfied day in, day out. They're just waiting for Friday, waiting for happy Friday and happy Monday. Like, I can't stand those. Like, why <laughs> do we celebrate days of the week instead of actually saying, you know what, it doesn't matter because every single day I get to do what I love doing. So, the biggest opportunity is that disruption, whether someone, someone again, wants to become a coach or a mentor themselves, or they want to start their own consultancy. They, they want to start a business because they know things can be done better. We don't have to play the same game as everyone else because, because people have been doing that, have we found ourselves in this place? And, what the industry does not do really well is ever address the root cause. People love putting band-aid solutions over the problems in the industry. And when those band-aids fall off, it really hurts. You know, right now, there's one of the largest companies that has gone into administration. And, you know, we're waiting to, like, the industry's on edge to see if, if there'll be another buyer because they have multi-million dollar sites. So when we keep, you know, when the industry keeps on addressing the the symptom and not the root cause, the problems keep on being perpetuated. And that is where there's the greatest opportunity in my perspective. That's neat. Very good. What role have mentors played in your own life? I mean, you know, you are the coach coaching and mentoring others, but I'd love to hear a little bit about, because uh, I one thing I always find is good coaches have always been with good mentors. So I'd love to hear a little bit, a bit about what role mentors have played in your life. You know, you're absolutely right. And I'm not saying that everyone should work with me. Of course not. I'm not for everyone. But if people are seeking the right mentor, whoever it is for them, they need to ask them, them one question. Who is your mentor or coach? Because if they don't have one, then they don't have the right to actually be a mentor or coach for you. They're just giving you information. They're not giving you insight. And they don't also know what it means to actually go down the mentoring experience, what that transformation could could actually be like. My mentor, Ron Malhotra, is the best decision that I made in my adult life. And if it wasn't for Ron, I have no idea where I would be. I would be that struggling, trying to, I don't, I don't even know. I would not have been releasing my second book within one and a half years. I would not have had any of the wins that I would have had. And this isn't to say because I don't have resourcefulness. I do, but you don't even know what question to ask. And Ron is someone who I will be grateful for until the end of time that I have the privilege of learning from, of being guided by. And Ron saw me. And that is one of the most powerful things that you can do for someone else is to truly see them, not for who they are back then, but for all of who they can be. And that's what Ron did. Ron helped me. Like he reached out into the future and he gave it to me on a plate and said, here, this is a pathway. This is what you need to do. And I am a great student, not just a great mentor, but a great student. And I did everything that the mentor requires. And I got to where I am today. And Ron is someone who is simply larger than life. And to have him and his, his business partner as people in my corner is, is, it means the world to me. It's something that isn't so easily articulated into, into words, how important this person is to me. But 
again, if I had not met Ron and if I had not rolled the dice fundamentally on myself and said yes, then it would have been a great disservice. But there are people who come into your life for a reason, a season or lifetime. And, and Ron is one of those lifetime people that I get to have again, the pleasure of, of experiencing in my own life. Oh, that's fantastic. Great story too. Well, this has been a real pleasure, um, Eleanor. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time, and I do thank you um, so much again for your time. Um, before we close out, though, I do want to ask you if you'd be willing to participate in our rapid-fire question round. Um, Let's this go. Is, <laughs> you don't even want to hear about it. We're ready to go. These are seven questions. All you got to do is give us your first response. Everyone needs to understand Eleanor has no idea what we're about to ask her. Um, we want to alternate everyone, other one? Sure. Okay. I will ask you question number one. Um, someplace that's on your bucket list to visit someday. Italy. I've been there once and, yeah, anxious to go back. I've only been there twice and that's not enough. Uh, <laughs> Any penguins? No penguins there. I don't. Yeah, even I could not find a penguin in Italy. <laughs> uh, question number two. If you could invent any wonderful, incredible device to make life easier, what would that device be? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it depends on the need. It depends on the problem. Like I've got my, <laughs> I've got my analytical mind on. Um, I don't know. Again, it, it depends on the immediate needs and problems that, that people have in their life. Can I come back? Can we circle back? Yeah, we can, you can think about that one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, next one. Favorite traditional Australian food? Australia doesn't have any. That's the... Oh, really? <laughs> no. That's about... It's, it's so... It doesn't have, you know, recognizable dishes like other cultures. I guess oh. the only thing that comes to mind is... Is a lamington. Lamington. I don't even know what this is. Okay, it's a it's a sponge cake in chocolate with coconut on it. Oh no, that does sound good. I remember. Oh, Tim Tams. I remember Tim Tam cookies. I think that's what they were. Yes, they're very popular. And I I might remember Vegemite too. I don't think I remember it fondly though. <laughs> no, there's nothing to remember fondly about that. It's forgettable at best. <laughs> Number four. Time of the day when you feel you are the most productive. Midnight. Really? Interesting. Wow. I'm the night the nightest person that there is my best ideas, my best flow is between 11 p.m. to to 1 a.m. That's that's my prime time. That is awesome. I love I I admire that. That is not me, but I admire it. <laughs> so this next one, I have to give a little explanation on. Um, there are all kinds of lists online for rapid-fire questions, icebreaker questions. And so sometimes for inspiration, I go to those. And um, I saw one that I thought, okay, this is too good not to ask, to ask you. Um, say good day, mate, in an Australian accent. Oh, goodness. <laughs> it doesn't even sound natural. I don't even speak like that. Good day, mate. That was perfect. That's all you're getting. <laughs> that was great. Do you prefer the top or bottom half of the bagel? A bagel's round. Oh, the when you cut it the other way. Yes, the top half. Yeah, see, I'm a top half person too. He likes the bottom half. I There's something about the the top half is crispier. It's crunchier. <laughs> okay. Seventh question, unless we go back to that one. What is the worst piece of advice that anyone has ever given you? How much time do you have? <laughs> you should be. You should. You should. Hmm. Anything that starts with you should. You should be, you know, I'm a safety consultant. You should do the same. I've done a cert for you. should do the same. I'm, you know, I climbed the corporate ladder. You should do the same. There's no should like who said so anything that starts with you should that doesn't have your best intentions at heart and that doesn't truly take in your whole person that is advice that is easily discarded and also simply the opinions of, of other people i'm not interested in anyone's opinions no one's entitled to their opinions they're only entitled to their informed opinions so anything that generally starts with you should do then question it. Wow. And that fits so much what you're doing as a as a consultant and, and coach and what you said your approach was. So that's good stuff. 
Well, do you want to go back to the uh, second question or take a pass I'm on that? I'm still in ideation mode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. You'll follow up later. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will have to come back and maybe send you an email when I come up with my great inventions. So, so we asked that question of someone once, and uh, they said a self-unloading truck. And I thought, wow, that's pretty original. That would be handy. That would certainly be handy. If he's unloaded a lot of trucks or what the deal is. But <laughs> Well, thank you again, Eleanor. This has been a real pleasure and, uh, and a privilege to have you here on the show. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered today that you'd like to share with our audience? I truly appreciate the conversation and commendations for being one of the most best prepared and organized podcasts that that I have been on. Sometimes you do find you're chasing for the link, you're chasing for the time, you're always chasing, but you have made it an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be on your show. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, it's our pleasure. And I know what you're saying. I've guessed it on a few also. And yeah, it's frustrating if uh, things don't, don't go. So I've tried, tried to make sure we don't fall into that. Doesn't mean we don't stub our toes sometimes, but we try not to. So for folks who might want to get in touch with you, um, how can they, what's the best way for they, them to do that? I know you're all over the internet, but what's the best way uh, for them to reach you? I'm Eleanor Musher on LinkedIn at Eleanor Marsha underscore on Clubhouse and for all other opportunities, theconstructioncoach.com.au. Fantastic. And we, of course, will have that in the show notes as well. But uh, just for those who may be listening and driving, oh, how do you spell Eleanor? It is E-L-I-N-O-R. Masha is M-O-S-H-E, EleanorMasha.com. Well, thank you again so much. Um, this has just been a real pleasure. Great, greatly appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, uh, audience, for tuning in to this episode of Construction Disruption uh, with our guest, Eleanor Masha, founder of The Construction Coach. Um, Eleanor, what you have shared today has truly been insightful and inspiring and um, takes me a long way, so I love it. Thank you. To our audience, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We have lots more great guests coming up in future weeks. Um, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. And as always, um, change the world for someone. Make them smile, encourage them. Encourage them. Um, very powerful things that we can do to individually change the world. And, and what a different world uh, we'd be speaking from today um, if we were all practicing that. So uh, love on each other. Be kind. Um, God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. Until the next episode of Construction Disruption.